Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network, your Nashville Predators podcast. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Adam Vingan from The Athletic is my co-host. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Vingan. And of course, subscribe to The Athletic for great journalism as usual. Rate, review, and subscribe. Today on the show will be part two of a conversation that Adam and I had a week or so ago about setting the expectations for the Nashville Predators team on the ice in John Hines' first season. And in this episode, we will lay out what we think this club should accomplish in 2021 and go through some of the individual players and what the expectations should be for some of those individual players on the Nashville Predators. So without further ado, the second part of our setting the expectations conversation for the Nashville Predators. So expectations for the team. And this is where I, I'm going to go on a little spiel here, Adam, and I want to see what you think about it. All right. Because I think, and we're going to get to some individual players, because I do think we need to have some conversations about UC Soros, Dante Fabro, the top line, Forsberg and Johansson in particular. I'm not really worried about expectations for Victor Arvidsson. Matt Duchesne needs to be in that conversation. Ellie Tolvanen, what are the expectations for Ellie Tolvanen? I think we can have some conversations about individual players. But I think for the team and the fan base writ large, I think there are a couple of different ways to look at it. There is the rational, analytical, critical way to look at the team and, and according to Vegas, agree and say, look, they're a playoff team, but they're a wildcard team and that they are the seventh team, you know, quote-unquote, according to Vegas, best team in the Western Conference. They are on the bubble, according to the Athletics poll. All of that stuff is sort of the rational way to look at the talent on the roster and where they are right now. You could also argue they had all that talent last year, and we're exactly right in that same spot, too. So changing it up again, we've we've covered that at nauseum on the show. So that's kind of the one way to look at the analytical, rational way to set the bar for the Predators. My problem with that is that that is giving a pass to everyone involved on where this franchise had built itself in the previous few seasons. And to me, and, and I guess I need to explain that, you get to a cup, you get to the President's Trophy, expectations from the fans should have changed at that point. Pecorine talks openly about wanting expectations. He, he wants to be favored to win. He wants the fans to have the idea that this team should be a championship caliber team. What I do not want to see happen with the fans is to just let this organization just, just fall back into the 2005, 2008, 2011 range and just say second round's okay. Because I don't think that should be the expectation any longer in the city of Nashville for their professional hockey team. We are now a hockey market with a diehard fan base that cares deeply about this team and, and about the organization and about their success and failure. And I do not think that it is okay to just let them off the hook and say, no, it's okay for you guys to rebuild. You spent all that money and you tried really hard, but you know what? It's okay. It's, a, it's fine. We'll give you a couple years to get back on your feet. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. This is professional sports, and you all make millions of dollars to win a Stanley Cup. And I'm okay with fans having very high expectations for a team, even if the, the, the roster on paper doesn't match those expectations. Does that make sense? It does. And my sense of where the fan base is right now, quite frankly, is a bit pessimistic. I think that there are a significant amount of Predators fans who believe that this team has missed its window and that it's time to enact more significant change. And we saw a significant change over the past year 
uh, within the calendar year of, of there being a coaching change. And then we've talked, of course, about all of the offseason moves that have been made. But at the same time, I get the sense that Predators fans are not quite ready to throw in the towel on this group. But I don't think there is much time left for this core group to win a championship before even more serious uh, changes need to be made. You know, I think the Predators personally have two more years at this because in two years, there, there are a lot of contracts that are expired. John Hines' contract is expired after 2022. Philip, Forsberg con- Philip Forsberg's contract is expired. Matthias Ekholm's contract is expired. I believe Kelly Yarncroke's contract is expired. Yaroslav Oskarov's KHL contract is expired after 2022. Meaning, meaning he's the first round pick that the Predators just drafted, meaning he's coming to Nashville then at that point. That's right. what you're saying. I, I think that this group, this core group, which you can define in any way you want, but this core group has, I think, two more shots at this. All right, let, let me ask you this, because we did this with David Poyle, and we said our verdict on David Poyle was two more years, two more seasons to, to see this final effort, this final push, this final strategic move to rebuild the roster, see it through. And you and I both agreed on that, and I think that is the fair approach for David Poyle. Do you, I, I think you need more than two years to evaluate John Hines. Personally, I think Philip Forsberg, you know, again, I think I guess my question is once you get to a player by player basis, isn't it then individually? It's not like sort of as a whole or, or are you saying that there could be that if it doesn't work over these two years, not only could it be the GM that moves on up to a different role in the organization, but that there could be wholesale changes coming in if it doesn't work over those two years. I just Poyle, think based on the contract situations in the organization that. 2022 looks like the dead end um, for this particular group. And I I agree with you that expectations should not change, that Predators fans should believe that this team is good enough to deliver a championship. I just, in, in the conversations I've had with fans on social media, in the comments section of stories on The Athletic, I don't want to go as to far. I, I want. I want. I, excuse me. I do not want to go as far as to fa- to say that there is this sort of defeatist attitude. But I'm getting the sense that fans are growing apathetic towards this particular group of players. And that word right there, if you are running a sports franchise, if you're running a media company, <laughs> if you're a fan or a play, that's the worst word. That, I, that's the you, worst you, word. Yes, you do not. You you would if as a sports team you would rather have a passionate fan base that's angry yeah. about the direction of your franchise than one that doesn't care exactly and I think you're getting to a point right now where there is a solid faction of Predators fans that will cheer for this team they will continue to support this team but they don't have a lot of significant hope that this group is going to win a Stanley Cup. Is is that that's a different that's a different concept though. That's almost like saying going back to the not going back, but that's like saying that we still haven't matured yet as a hockey market almost. It's not necessarily well, it's about still a young passionate, mar- it's still a young market. Right, right. It's not the passionate fan who who's pissed off that his team's not going to win. It's saying that that there aren't enough passionate fans yet. And I I'm not sure I'm with you on that. Now, you know, you have a closer pulse on the fan base, but 
I, I I'd like to believe at least maybe I'm just it's, hoping. No, here. it's a very passionate fan base. I'm not ca- I'm not questioning the the level of passion of the Predators fan base. Trust me, there are plenty of people yeah. who live and breathe Predators well, hockey. Well, I guess the the issue is that Nashville as a city is very fickle. Yes. And it, and it wants to be at the cool, fun party. And as soon as the cool, fun party is not cool and fun anymore, they go to another party. And I think that's the truth with the Titans, with the Preds, with yeah. everybody. I mean, it's... That's I, just Nashville. I remember... I, I've made this analogy many times. I mean, it's different now, I think. But when I lived in Washington, you know, the 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 the, the fan base or the... Not necessarily, not necessarily the fan base, excuse me. But the overall feeling towards the Washington Capitals pre-Stanley Cup win was that they were the hot ticket in town. They were a great regular season team. They had a lot of exciting players. And being at a Capitals game was like being at the opening of a new show at the Kennedy Center or a five-star I, I've restaurant. Never, I've never been to a show at the Kennedy Center. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful Is that where the Mark place. Twain Award is given? I think for the, so. For the, for the Dave Chappelle got that. I, th- I think I saw that on Netflix. I, 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 that might be that might be true. But, great, great recommendation, by the way. Go check out the Chappelle Kennedy show. At the, at, but what Netflix. I'm saying is that going to a Capitals game in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, whatever, was like being you. That's the place you wanted right. to be because that's the place where you were going to be seen. Well, Nashville Predators hockey in 17, 18, exactly. and 19 was the same way. Exactly, and I, I think. I think there is a larger, passionate core fan base that that eats, sleeps, and breathes this team regardless. Now, can um, they afford to be seen? I don't know. <laughs> that's that's another thing entirely. <laughs> um, but I, I just think that the I, the sense that I get from talking to fans is that they are going to support the Predators, but they are getting to a point where. They just feel that this group has plateaued, and they'll support them. They'll still watch them. They'll still root for them. They'll still be their cheerleaders. But it's it's a weird feeling when you're a fan of a team because you care about a team, but you're also cognizant of the fact that the team you're rooting for isn't a great team necessarily. So it's like you're rooting for – like I'm trying to think of like what – I mean like the – I mean, I guess you can say about you can look you can look at the Titans. We're five and zero. Oh. They had a you know they had a great game against the Steelers. You know they ultimately lost. And so where do you fit if you're a Titans fan right now? You're excited, right? But do you think they're at the top team in the AFC anymore? Like it's it's well, a, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to marry. I'm not doing a great job of explaining no, it, but it's a it's a fine analogy. The Titans are five and zero, oh, and then they lose to the Steelers and. You know, fans are sort of wondering where their defense is right now. And I, I think what's fascinating is, again, this is where I, I have to, to your point, I'm trying to separate the rational, reasonable, analytical side of my brain that looks at the Predators roster and says, this isn't a cup team. But the the other side of that is the Predators are victims of their own success. They have raised the bar on themselves because they accomplished things they had never done before. And I think it is okay for fans to now be called, we're a hockey city where we have hockey expectations, and the hockey expectations are one thing and one thing only, and that is to raise the cup. Now, the 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 twist on all of this, the twist, and we just alluded to this a few minutes ago in the NHL, the twist is that the eight seed goes to the cup occasionally, more times than anywhere else in, in any sport, that... 
you could be a wild card and make a deep run. That you can have a backup goaltender, fire your coach, and be in last place in January. The same line I've used a hundred times on the St. Louis Blues and go win a cup. It's it's what makes the NHL unique. And that to me is why you don't have to marry your your Homer expectations for a franchise to win a championship and your analytical expectations of the current talent on the roster. I think in the NHL, you are allowed to look at your team and go, I demand excellence, even though it doesn't look like excellence on paper. And I think the Preds have fans have earned their way into that category the yes. way Toronto fans are, or Boston fans, or, you know, I don't know, pick a, pick a team with a 100-year fan base that loves Chicago. hockey. Right, like, th- it's okay. I think it's okay for fans to have extremely high expectations and to hold the organization to a very, very high bar. All because right. you set yes. that bar right. four years ago. Let me let me then offer a, a, a slightly different... I feel like I'm yelling now. No, it's okay. But let me <laughs> offer a slightly different counter-argument to that then. Here is where I think the Predators might be in a bit of trouble as an organization. If this team continues to spend money to bring in players and continues to fall short, there is only so many times you can do that before a certain, even your most fervent fans, as I said, grow apathetic. You know, the Predators caught lightning in the bottle even before the Stanley Cup run. I think it starts with the All-Star Game in 2016. That, to me, is the beginning of Nashville growing into a legitimate hockey market. Then they go to the Stanley Cup Final. Then they win the President's Trophy. They built up a lot of goodwill. They introduced a lot of casual fans to this sport and who became bigger fans. But that was three years ago, and the results are trending downward. The, f- the more the Predators continue to fall short of expectations, the less, the less chance there is of fans giving them the benefit of the doubt. So I think the Predators are in a place as an organization where they need to do whatever they can in these next couple of years to win a championship or come very, very close. Because if, let's just say, the Predators miss the playoffs next season, or they're the 7th or 8th seed and they get their butts kicked by the number 1 or 2 seed, and it's a continuing that downward trend, it's, it's to me, and maybe this is extreme, it practically erases all of the goodwill they built up between 2016 and 2018. <laughs> I, I don't know if it erases it. I don't think anything ever will. But I think your point is valid in that. But, as we said... If that happens and and they're not getting it done, then then it's going to look a lot different. They'll they'll have a new GM for the first time. They may have a thir- a fourth coach. They may, you know Duchesne and Johansson might be on the not not on the roster. Like you might not resign Forsberg or, or Ekholm or like there's a you know Pekka and UC could both be gone. Like you, you, there could be a lot of change if it doesn't work. Um, so I, I follow you on that. I just again we've I I don't think fans. To your point, I don't think they're, they're, we're a market or a franchise yet where we can say Stanley Cup every year, right? Like, that's not, that's not where we're at. But you said something interesting. You said, I want to see them at least come close or make some sort of run. I'd, again, that's sort of the middle ground. I, I don't think you have to demand a, a championship. You do even not that's have to goal. demand a championship, but you do have to show forward progress, right. which the Predators have not made in three years 100%. In, in the postseason. You need to show that there is still optimism about this current group. 
because if the downward slope continues this coming season or the season after that, it's going to be incredibly hard for the organization to justify the direction that they're going in. Yep. And, you know, fans in general are fickle. This is not just a Nashville thing. <laughs> fans in general are fickle. But we've talked, I think we've talked about this before. You know, it's not cheap to go to a hockey game. It's no. not cheap to go to a sporting event. And the fans who would be willing to pay their hard-earned dollars to watch this team will be less likely to do yes. so. Let's let's wrap up this, in com- this entire conversation with where they should finish. I think anything less than the second round would be considered a disappointment, even if it doesn't match the talent on the roster, because I now have expectations as a fan of the team. I think anything less than the second round would be considered a major disappointment, and I think they need to get to at least the second round, if not the Western Conference Finals, to rekindle and respark all of the stuff that made us think that this team was capable of being a champion. And I would you, say it, the Western Conference Final. I, I agree, and if you do that... Like, I don't even think the second round is enough. Because, again, this is not... As we talked about on our PhD with John Hines last week, th- this is not about... Uh, this is not a, a total rebuild where you have no players on the team. Th- this is not what John Hines stepped into in New Jersey. This is... that You are stepping into a core group of talented players at all the critical positions. Top line, core four defense, goaltending. All that's ready to go. You Now you, John Hines, have to make it all work. And that is where the pressure falls, is on the coaching staff and the players to achieve where they should achieve, which in my opinion, in your opinion, sounds like a lot more than seventh place in the Western Conference. I mean, I think the regular, as long as they make the playoffs, for me, where they finish is not necessarily a huge deal. Because like I said, I do not expect them to win their division, whether it's the Central Division or a reimagined Southeast Division. I don't know. (laughs) But But how you play in the playoffs. But it's how they play in the playoffs. If they play like they did against Dallas two seasons ago or lose to a team like Arizona like they did in the qualifying round. And and one thing to be clear – you know, the NHL recognizes that the Predators made the playoffs last year because any team that participated in a qualifying round series, according to the NHL record books, did qualify for the postseason. <laughs> so they have made the postseason I, I count it, yeah. six years in a row, which only one team has done more so active, and that is the Pittsburgh Penguins. So they are right there. Yep. So making the playoffs... I like if they finish in fourth or they finish in eighth to me, that doesn't matter. They just need to make the playoffs. But if this team loses again in a first round series or wins a first round series and and is is non-competitive in a second round series, I still think that's a downward trend. I I think that to, to re-energize this fan base, they need to at least qualify for the Western conference final. I like it. Raise the bar, man. I'm good that, with that. That's just my opinion. So now that we've sort of established the benchmarks and the expectations for the team itself going into the playoffs, Adam, let's sort of look at some of the individual players on this roster and maybe get a, a sense of what you think they should do this year. Um, and really, the guys I want to talk about, and you tell me what you, what you think here, if you think this is right or wrong. I, I think the guys that are worth talking about in this conversation are ones that sort of they don't have necessarily things to prove, but that they are not only important and talented but sort of need to to show us a little bit more if this team is going to be at that championship level. And so let's start – I mean, tell me what you think. I'm thinking Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, UC Saros, Ellie Tolvanen, um, probably Dante Fabro as well. Is there anybody else that we need to include in that group of players? I mean, that we I would throw here? Victor Arvidsson in there too just because of his importance to the roster. Okay, and then – 
Maybe and maybe we can touch on Eckholm and Fabro as a pairing yes. as well, since I'm assuming Ellis and Yossi will be paired together. Again and they're excellent. Year. So yes. that's and, not a concern. Exactly. So that and that's part of my reason I don't want to necessarily I, I don't feel the need to bring up Victor Arvidsson. It's more about his health for me. Yes. As long as he stays healthy, I, I sort of trust what he is. Right. I think I think that's fair. I, I think that Victor Arvidsson's underperformance last season is one that can be most chalked up to health. Um, there is, of course, concern that Victor Arvidsson, who plays a heavier game than someone of his stature normally does, I, I can understand if there is some worry among fans that, you know, he's not the energizer bunny, as I believe Ryan Johansson has uh, likened uh, him in, likened him in the past. Um, but... You know, I you know I think if you are a Predators fan, you might worry that Victor Arvidsson has more tread on his tires because of the punishment he has taken over the course of his career at a relatively young age. Um, Is there but, something a coaching staff can do to mitigate those forces? Because you can't slow him down. You can't slow him down, but you can, and and you don't want to change his game. Right. Um, but you know, one thing that I think has helped, for example, on the power play last season. They moved him from being the net front guy to the bumper guy in the slot, where one he could shoot more, and two he could he could he could crash for rebounds. But he's not the guy in front of the net. At the end of the day, someone who is as diminutive what's the word I'm looking for diminutive diminutive as as Victor Arvidsson should not be your top net front scorer probably. Wait, so so a guy who's very good at scoring and shooting and hustling and is not very big should maybe be moved out of the slot where he screens. Yes. Okay. All I right. mean, there are exceptions to that rule. You know, I think he's very a, good in the screening. The jump, no, he's the jump very, screen. He is know? very good at it. There's you know, little kids all over Nashville that do the jump screen now. Oh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, you know, there are notable exceptions. One that comes to mind is Brendan Gallagher, who is not the, the biggest specimen, but perhaps the best net front player in the NHL. Um, but I think to preserve Victor Arvidsson, the less beating he can take, the better. Um, I think so, that's, that's not very uh, revolutionary. No. I think that's pretty standard. But I think if there is concern about Victor Arvidsson's ability to yeah. bounce back, it is health-related. But at the same time, I think he is the most he's, he's the player most likely to bounce back based on the fact that you can just say, well, he had a bad season because he was hurt. And, and you can just trust what he's going to be every shift, basically. Yes. And, and Forsberg to an extent as well. Forsberg has dealt with injuries, and we can now transition into Philip Forsberg. Forsberg has dealt with injuries over the past several seasons. I think he's missed at least 10 to 15 games each of the past three seasons. Um, but with Philip. When I, when I, and I wrote a story about this earlier um, in the offseason about why Philip Forsberg, or excuse me, what is holding Philip Forsberg back from being an elite forward? Because I think of the players on the Predators roster, he's the closest thing to an elite forward. No, no question. And, the th- and, and we know that he can do incredible things. We've seen him score incredible goals. We know that he, is, you know, that he can score 30-plus goals. We know all of that, but when you think of a player like Philip Forsberg, you, I mean, at least to me, which is why I wrote the story in the first place, there should be more to Philip Forsberg than what we're getting. There's absolutely no reason, in my opinion, that Philip Forsberg should not be able to score 40 goals. I, I agree 
that there has been, there has always been since he showed up and, and showed us what he could do. There's always been another level to his game. And you saw it in flashes in the postseason. You would see it in these, you know, was it the move against Sam Girard in the playoffs? It was the move against like, Sam Girard th- in the playoffs. If you remember the move he had, I believe it was in game six, the deciding game of the Colorado series that year where he had the pretty much end-to-end rush. Um, he, he, the things he can do, and everyone on the team s- says this about him at practice too, that there just aren't. There's no one else I've ever seen in a Predator sweater that can do the things that Philip Forsberg can do when he when he's on his and at his best. I talked, and to, that's sort of it. Yeah, I talked to Scott Hartnell during the pause for a, an alumni roundtable I was doing, and I asked him about which which of his teammates left him most in awe in terms of their skill, and you know Scott has the perspective of playing for the early Predators and the current Predators. And he said, Philip Forsberg, hands down, I don't think is it's even the close. most talented player he's ever played with on that team. I don't think it's like, honestly, Adam, and this is a little different conversation because I think the, the focus of this needs to be the expectations for Philip Forsberg. It's okay to say he, sh- he can score 40 goals. It's okay to say that. But the, the spinoff here is the two most talented skaters that I have ever seen in Predators sweaters are probably Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi. Yeah, Seth Jones actually might be in that group just because of the size and skill and everything. But and again, that's sort of the like NFL combine, right? Pure talent, right? And you could throw in you could throw Paul Correa in there, and you could throw Steve Sullivan if you want. Never in their never in their like true primes, though. Really, I I mean, Paul Correa is a hockey Hall of Famer, but at the time he was with the Predators, perhaps he was not. You know, it's like talking about Peter Forsberg when he was on the Predators. It wasn't. The same Peter Forsberg, but what's hold? Speaking of Forsbergs, what I the, the, what I think is holding Philip Forsberg back is one his inconsistency that he we saw at the beginning of last season. I think he scored in the first five or six consecutive game, like the first five or six games, which was the longest season opening goal streak in Predators history. We saw him take over. But then he disappears for a while. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he scored a goal in the entire month of February, which Predators fans now call February because that was typically when he would <laughs> explode. But he did not do that this past February slash February. The other thing that I think is holding him back is <laughs> the fact that I think he needs to use his size to his advantage more. And that he needs is to what, play with power. And that's what John Hines talked about. And for that story I'm referencing, I talked to Hal Gill as well, that Philip Forsberg, you know, he does not appear to be, you know, this hulking physical specimen, but he is very strong and he is absolutely capable of putting his shoulder down and driving to the net, which we've seen. And I think we need to see more of that from Philip Forsberg. He has a good enough shot where he can score from distance, where most players can't score from. Like, low percentage shots to Philip Forsberg are still better percentage shots than a lot of players. But he needs to, I think, get to the slot area more often, which he does pretty well, but I think he needs to do it even better. It was John Hines who said, power before skill is what he has talked about with Philip Forsberg, and I think that is a great way to describe what he needs to do to meet expectations and be the 40 point, excuse me, the 40 goal, 70 to 80 point player. He's absolutely capable of being, but has not shown us yet. Yeah. And, and the power 
terminology, we're going to use that to transition to Ryan Johansson in just a second because I think that's also the thing that you that you want to see from Johansson that takes him to the, the next level. The other thing, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask Philip Forsberg to, to go a point per game. I think he's got the talent to be a point per game player because, again, even that doesn't even really put you in the top 20 of scorers in the NHL. And if you look at teams that win cups with that elite guy, it is Nikita Kucherov, it is Connor McDavid, it's Patrick Kane, it's Sidney Crosby, it's Brad Marchand. These guys are in the 110 plus point range. You have, like, there is no reason that Philip Forsberg could not be an 82 point scorer in a, se- in a, in a full season. No, absolutely not. And, you know, I think the first thing that any Predators scorer needs to do is score 40 goals because as we've, as we've discussed and something I regularly mention when discussing the, the Predators goal scoring woes is that they are the only active franchise to never have a 40 goal score. Even the Vegas Golden Knights who have been in the league for three years <laughs> have a 40 goal score. But That stings a little bit. I, but, but I think we talked about this when we were talking about John Hines that – the one thing that that series against Arizona, if I had to take, if I had to list my takeaways, the number one takeaway is the fact that it demonstrated or confirmed or whatever you want to say that the Predators have a lack of high end finishing talent on their roster. They're, you know, Philip Forsberg. And now they have even less. Yes. Now they have even less, which puts <laughs> even more pressure on Philip Forsberg. Yeah. But there's no, in my opinion, there is no reason why he couldn't be more consistent, why he couldn't use that power to... I mean, we know he can. We, we talk about the, for, the force butt, as our friend Justin Bradford calls it, the reverse check that he throws on guys. We know that he can do it. It's doing it consistently. Yeah. And, and I think if he can find that, he absolutely can be a 70-point, 75-point player. The, the conversation we'll have with Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, and Matt Duchesne, it almost feels like just... If they played a little bit more like Victor Arvidsson, <laughs> you know, which I know is such an easy way to do it, because again, the issues for Johansson and the issues for Forsberg are a little different. They're harder to pinpoint with Forsberg. Uh, again, you, I think you're doing. I think a, they're harder to pinpoint for Johansson. I, see, I think it's more. I think it's more just its innate genetic makeup. I just think it's a you know. Johansson has to fight his natural tendency to be sort of this laid back guy. Yeah, we talked and, about that. Right. And and they're like with Forsberg, I don't get that. Forsberg is I just think he's there's just something else there. And again, I do I think get he could less of that. I do get less of that from Forsberg than Johansson, but I do think there is some of that in I, I think okay. Forsberg does have some of that aloofness, okay. as we discussed with Johansson. I think it's less than Johansson, but and, I do think it exists. And so I think that gives us an easy transition to Johansson and, and then subsequently Matt Duchesne. But really, the goal for me with both Forsberg and Johansson is, on, on and I know 82 games is hard, but let, on, on any given night, I want to see you playing as hard as possible. And I want to see you playing with physicality, and I want to see you playing with an edge. And when Ryan Johansson does that, he is one of my favorite players to ever watch play for the National Predators. He did it against... The first time I really saw it was against Chicago and Jonathan Taves. Yeah, in the that first was round. his. That was his coming out that, party. That was the guy that you want to see, and it hasn't really been there since. He's had moments. He's had flashes. Just like Forsberg, there is no reason that he cannot shoot the puck more. Be Which more. He physi- absolutely needs to be more aggressive. Go twenty goals, sixty assists. Right? Like you don't have to score thirty goals, no. but you can do twenty and sixty assists and be the best center on on this team and be a top center. I. That that's my expectation for both those two guys. So Ryan Johansson has evolved since being traded to Nashville more than four years ago. It's almost been five years, which is hard to believe. 
since that trade. That's crazy. Um, since being traded to Nashville, Ryan has evolved into a playmaker. He was less of a playmaker in Columbus than he was in Nashville, primarily because Columbus at that time needed him to score goals, which he did. He There is less of a need for him to score goals in Nashville. There has been, but he is fully capable of doing so. I don't think he scored more than 15 goals in any of his full seasons with the Predators, but he has scored 30 goals in the NHL, so it is very, it is possible for him to do so. And that's why we talked about this with the coaching staff. I know it is a complete coincidence that both Dan Hino and Todd <laughs> Richards have experienced coaching Ryan, but it absolutely should help. And because Todd and Dan saw Ryan as that scorer, that's they they've they yeah. know what he can do. He was that scorer when they coached him. So perhaps they can get him more into that level. I think what's when I watch the Predators, which of course I do a, a shit ton of watching the Predators as it is my full time <laughs> <You>? job. <laughs> no, is how many times and, and I, I'm sure there are a lot of fans who will agree with this. How many times? I mean, you can just look at last season, but you can just look at his Predators career in general. Did Ryan Johansson get the puck in a prime scoring area? He got it. He gets it in the high slot. He gets it in the slot. And he, he scores on breakaways he, every yes, time. He either a <laughs> hesitates to shoot and then and therefore loses the the look that he has, or B decides yeah. to pass it to somebody yeah. else. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Ryan Johansson needs to be more selfish. I you know, it, it helps I agree with that. It helps to have Forsberg and Arvidsson on your line. Both of them can score. But I think it, I, I I'm very curious to see how Dan Hino and Ty Richards might help Ryan Johansson try to tap into the Ryan Johansson of old because he does have a great shot. He really does. Yeah, he's got great everything. Yes. He's got the size. He's got the the speed, the hands, the skill. Yeah. He's got it all, man. And again, the reason we are so, I don't want to say hard on Johansson, but I think expecting a lot from Johansson is that he has all of the things to be great. Yes, and, and we've seen him put it all together right. to be great. So we were talking earlier about the Predators being a victim of their own success. I think that definitely applies to Ryan Johansson. I think there there continues to be, among Predators fans, this idea. And I don't think they're wrong. If Ryan Johansson would not have been injured in 2017, the Predators would have won the Stanley Cup. If he would have continued Ooh, to play... I don't know if they were ever going to win that series. If but I'm not sure. Pittsburgh I think, is so good. I think a Ryan, if Ryan Johansson would have been as dominant through the first three rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs as he was and had not gotten hurt, he could have at least neutralized one of Crosby or Malkin. It would have least. been it would have been fun to see him battle with Malkin. The size there on both those guys would have would have been fun. To I watch. mean, ultimately, you still would have had you know Mike Fisher as your second line center, but I think there. But there is this prevailing notion among Predators okay. fans that right. if not for that injury, they may have won the Stanley Cup. Uh, that that's fair to live in fantasy he land was, if you want to. He was that's incredible. Fine. No, he, he, he was. was incredible and, in that in, in those first three rounds. And also hurt. deserves a lot of credit. He is on the ice every night. 
Like, like let's be honest. Like, he does it, not get hurt it, outside of that very often. Eighty-two games, seventy-nine games, eighty games, and then I think sixty-eight last year, which is almost all of them. I think he missed one game. Last yeah, year. so uh, almost always available, which is a huge thing in the NHL. There's no question about that. I also don't. The, the problem is, is though, one hundred twenty-nine shots, one hundred thirty-six shots, one hundred one shots the last three years. When your defenseman is out shooting you two to one, when Roman Yossi has more than twice as many shots, I want Roman Yossi shooting the puck that much. You need to get the puck on net a little bit more from from Ryan Johansson. So I think the expectations, I'm okay with it still being like a 20-60 split in points. There's no reason he should not be, like I said, with Forsberg to an extent. There is no reason that Ryan Johansson should not be a 70-point player at least every season. I completely agree. Let's go down to Matt Duchesne then because Matt Duchesne is a little bit different player than Ryan Johansson. There's no question about his skills. Their skills are a little different. He's not the big physical power player but he's just as skilled, just as talented, and he's getting paid a whole lot of money. What What is a reason? Now, he also might be hamstrung a little bit if he's playing on a line with, you know, Luke Cunning and Ellie Tolvanen, that was so that exactly, may be the issue. That was exactly what, where I was going to go with it. When I look at Matt Duchesne's season last year, I think that some of the blame for his underperformance is the fact that he was not necessarily put in a position to succeed because he did not have consistent productive line mates other than Forsberg and Granlund at the beginning of the season when they were they 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 came out like a house on fire but then when Forsberg got hurt early they never really went back to it but you know between rotating you know Granlund and Turris and then moving Duchesne to the wing and Turris in center there was just too much movement on that second line I think for Matt Duchesne to find any sort of rhythm with a particular line mate or line mates. And that's why when I look at this roster as is, and you think, okay, as you let's use your example, if he's playing on a line with Luke, 20, you know, 20, he'll be 23, 23 year old Luke Cunning and 21 year old Ellie Tolvanen. That's a lot of heavy lifting for Matt Duchesne to do on his own. That's why to, per our previous discussion about, how the Predators should use their cap space, they should find a player who can play on the on the wing, on the second line, who has experience and has a track record of being able to score. You know, I think why Mike Hoffman is so appealing to some Predators fans is that he and Duchesne were linemates in Ottawa three years ago. So there, you know, or two years ago, whatever it was, 2017-18. So there's some familiarity there. Yeah. And look, we've talked about this in previous episodes. You know, Mike Hoffman is a one-dimensional player, but he's really good at that one dimension, which is scoring, um, particularly on the power play. Um, again, I am not sure that is in the cards for the Predators, um, but, you know, he would be an improvement over what they're trotting out there. Or, you know, if they were to trade for Alex Kalorn, he would be a power forward on the left wing, on the second line, who could get do the dirty work and get the puck to Duchesne in scoring areas. I think Matt Duchesne's success is intertwined with his line mates. Okay. Like I like I Does think, this mean you I've I've floated this before to you. Does this mean there's a better chance especially if they don't go out and get somebody else with either the extra cap space or you know a trade of of some sort to acquire a bad contract or whatever. Is it more likely to see Forsberg dropped onto that line then? Because I, I still think that's what's going to happen. I, don't, I, I, I can't say definitively, but I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, I would rather have 
Arvidsson on one line and Forsberg on the other. If that if, if they are not going to make any further changes, which I, means I agree. Which means if, if that means you're if that if that means Colton Sissons or Luke Cunning is on your first line with Johansson and Arvidsson, and you have Forsberg, Duchesne, and Tolvanen, yep. I would feel a lot better yep. about Duchesne under than under other circumstances. Because here here's the thing: in, in his time in Nashville, he's a point six points per game player. Point six four is his is his time in Nashville. He's a .74 player for his career. He was .9 per game in two years in Ottawa and .73 in nine years in Colorado. This is a guy who should be scoring a point in three out of four games. And and you're paying him to be one of the top second-line centers in the entire NHL as far as dollars go. So I, I don't know statistically what the reasonable expectation is because you've laid out why there could be some reasons to dampen down expectations. But at the same time... We've seen him do it in the past, and he's getting paid to do it now. I mean, so, I think Matt Duchesne. <laughs> you know? I think Matt Duchesne is a. I think a good year for Matt Duchesne is at least sixty points. Um, I, you know, he had. I think he was a seventy-point guy in his contract year between Ottawa and Columbus. Yeah, thirty-one goals, thirty-nine assists, and his points. shooting. What was his shooting percentage? Eighteen. Yeah. See, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Okay, Nine point six for Nashville yes, last year. That's not so. so his shooting percentage. I don't know if you have his career. Twelve point three is his percentage. Okay, get it, get it to twelve point three, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I can't do the math quick enough to determine how many more extra, more goals that is. But I mean, Matt Duchesne to me can be should be. You know, a, if we're talking sixty points, a twenty five goal, thirty five assist guy, a twenty goal, forty assist guy. I mean, I don't even think a thirty thirty season is out of out of you know the realm of possibility. It, it would have been like four extra goals if you'd taken his current pace from last year he had 136 shots at a nine nine and a half percentage rate that was 13 goals so 17 goals would be his career average in that time yeah, span. i think a 20 goal 40 assist season yeah. for matt duchene like matt duchene yeah, is fine. not a 70 point guy on a regular basis uh, and especially not in in the, the old predators new predators way so <laughs> i i mean i think a 60 point season should be the the okay. threshold for matt duchene before we get to Ellie Tolvanen and maybe Dante Fabro, let's let's jump on UC Saros here real quickly for a few minutes. I, you and I maybe this is one of the few areas that you and I may disagree on. I, I think UC Saros has maybe more upside than you do. I, I think UC Saros could be the starting goaltender for the foreseeable future. He certainly has earned the right. I know we agree on that to to get a chance to be the starting goaltender. I, I think. I think for this year, the beauty of it is you're not asking him to do that. You've got a, a potential Hall of Fame backup in Pecorine that you can give more than just regular backup starts to. You can give him more. You, you know, he doesn't need to have, you know, 40 start. Let, again, we're assuming an 82-game schedule here. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be split 41-41, but it doesn't also have to be 65 starts for UC Soros. It can I, be, I, there, there could be a middle ground. I think under, if, if this, let's say the season is 60 games. If it's a true one A one B, I could see thirty five twenty five in favor of Saros. Or that seems fair. You know, something something to that extent, and and that's why I think it's good that Askarov is is unavailable for the next couple of years. So next season you have the one A one B, you have Pecorine as the safety valve. You, but you give UC Soros the majority of the starts throughout the season as opposed to coming onto it later in the season. And then in the following year, you have presumably UC Soros and Connor Ingram. You give UC Soros, again, let's say it's an 82-game season. 
You give UC Soros between, I think, 50, maybe at least 50 starts um, and go from there. I mean, and, 50 starts is way below what Pekka was doing when Pekka was in peak Pekka. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, my first my first couple of years here, you know, Carter Hutton was lucky to get a game once a month. In, you know, in, like in 2012, Pecorine played in 73 games. Yes. Now, I think when you arrived, which would have been right around. It was the end of the 14-15 season. Okay, end of the four. So he played 64 games. He got 64 starts in that season. 66 was the top of the the, the, the watermark there. Then in the, the cup year, he played 61. And as we've talked about over the course of these last years, it was expected to gradually decline. And it went from 66 to 61 to 59 to 55. Then he had 35 starts, of course, appropriately, uh, last year for, for the National Predators. This will be the first year where he is not the guy with more starts, right? Yes, I think I think that I think that is fine. Um, I guess we're also doing expectations for Pekka here. Well, in final yeah. season, but with UC Soros, and this again, this is where we have previously disagreed. I I think it is too soon to say for sure that he is the true heir apparent to Pekka I think at the very least, UC Soros is a solid starter. And if he serves as the bridge between Pekarine and Yaroslav Askarov, that's fine. Yep. I mean, I, I don't imagine... If he's a, as good as Martin Brodeur, which is the name that people tossed around with Askarov, then I'm okay with it not being UC Soros. If Askarov comes in and... Like, I don't think he would come in in 2022 and immediately become the number one goaltender. I could see another 1A, 1B situation. But I don't see when I think franchise goaltender, I think Pecorine. I think Henrik Lumquist. I think Carey Price. I think Jonathan Quick. You know, I think I don't think you. I mean, it's UC Soros is what twenty five, so we. St- it's not like you know the bet book has been written. But I'm not sure UC Soros has the overall skill and talent to be a workhorse goaltender for a long period of time. And some of that's size-related. Some of that is completely genetic, and that's not anything that he can help. I I think what's interesting is, and this goes to every quarterback battle in any level of football, you you want the answer to be obvious. That's all you really want. It doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously, you know, championships, it depends on who you have in goal. I get that. What I mean is, is that if Askarov makes it so obvious that he has to start from right away, that's a great problem. If UC Soros has made it so clear that no one else should take his job, that's a great problem. The so it's, it's all about are, yeah. it. It's all about it just being so obvious that they don't have to have the debate. The it, Predators are in great shape right now with the top of their goaltending pipeline between UC Soros, Connor Ingram, and and Askarov. They are in great shape. Yeah. Like there is, you know, I you know it never hurts to have that many choices of high quality young goaltenders. Yep. So. Whether it's not whether or not it ends up being UC Soros for the next ten years, you know, it, but it's not like it's it's boom or bust because right. they have other options. So they are they are in a great position in that way. Let's wrap up the forwards then, and let's. I, I want to sort of lump Ellie Tolvanen in. I want to talk Ellie Tolvanen yes. because it seems like he's the guy who's been earmarked for the most ice time. Yes, but you also can include as you see fit, Adam. The other names that might be involved here, whether it's Rem Pitlick or Philip Tomasino, unknown. I'm not talking about the new guys that, that are veterans that they've signed, Cousins yeah. and Richardson. I, I'm talking about the young, talented guys that are in the farm system that could be getting playing time that we're not really sure what they are. The expectation is, of course, that Ellie Tolvanen will be a top six forward yes. almost right out of the gate. 
So let's start with him, and then if you've got comments on the other guys, we can work our I, way down. I think it, it, you know, it starts and ends with Tolvanen. Um, I think we're getting to, you know, and because we can curse on this podcast, I think we're getting to a shit or get off the pot moment with Ellie Tolvanen. Um, Has he been given enough NHL time for that? Well, I mean, Fiala was Fiala, cut from the same mold. Maybe, and... yeah, maybe that's a bit, maybe that's a bit too extreme. But you know, Tolvanen. I mean, one thing you have to understand about Tolvanen is that to put things into proper perspective. He was the youngest player, I think, on the Milwaukee Admirals last season, despite the fact that he's been a professional now for three years. I mean, he debuted in the KHL at the age of 18. He played one year in the KHL. He's played two seasons in North America, mostly with the Admirals. You're making my case for me. Right, I know. So I, you're, I, making, I, you're making a case against your shit. I, no, I under, <laughs> I, I, no, I understand. I'm sort of talking myself <laughs> out of it. But the, the point is, is that at this point, you need to see what you have in Ellie Tolvanen. And the thing about Tolvanen is he is the type of player who is not going to succeed unless you put him in an offensive-minded role, which means he needs to be one of Matthew Shane's wingers on the second line. And that means you have to put him on the power play because Ellie Tolvanen, you're not going to teach him how to score. He has an elite shot. He has an amazing one-timer. He can score. We talked about this with Forsberg. He can score goals that an average player yeah. cannot, from particularly from long range. I think Tolvanen needs to continue to become more physical. I think his skating needs to improve. And you know, I'm going on vacation here, but you know, I've been working on a story that should be out. Um, I've been working on a story that should be out. Um, on the athletic, on the athletic, pay for good journalism. Upon my return from vacation, <laughs> um, about Tolvanen, I you know I spoke to Carl Taylor, the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals. I also spoke to Yari Curry, the general manager of the Yokerit KHL team, uh, where Tolvanen currently is, and and where he played his first season. And of course, if I'm not mistaken, Curry, a hockey Hall of Famer, one of the greatest goal scorers mm-hmm. in NHL history. So he knows a thing or two about scoring. Also wore weird helmets in the NHL. Yes. So <laughs> when I think of, so, you know, I, I talk to them about their perspective on Tolvanen and where they think he is. And, you know, not to give too much away, but I, I think what it comes down to for Tolvanen is confidence. I think that, that John Hines and his coaching staff and David Poyle they need to, and, and they have, but they need to make sure that Tolvanen feels his most confident. Because when it comes to young goal scorers specifically, conf- I mean, confidence is everything in, in, in professional sports as well as in general. But especially in hockey for a 21-year-old goal scorer who hasn't made yeah. the impact at the NHL that he's expected to yeah. when he signed here two years ago, confidence is key. They have to make sure that he's feeling like his best self. The whole thing reminds me of Fiala. The whole thing there does. Is, there are parallels. There are skill, parallels. Talent, offensive prowess needs to be a more complete player. Like that. That's the vibe I get. Yeah. I, I think. I think Craig Smith levels of offensive production are 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 the expectations. I, I don't know if that's eighteen goals, twenty goals. That might be a little much for his first season. But that's if you're putting him in the top six, that's what you're expecting him to do. So you are expecting him to replace. Craig Smith's production on the second line. So that that's sort of where I would fall uh, on Tolvanen. Uh, do you want to give us quick thoughts on, on Dante Fabro and Matias Ekholm uh, as they are wrapping up? I, I look at 
Fa- when I look at Ekholm and Fabro together, they did not have a great season as a pair. They were fine, but they definitely did not move the needle in the way that Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis did. Though, to be fair, few pairs did because Roman Yossi won the Norris Trophy and Ryan Ellis, in my humble opinion, is an elite defenseman. Um, I'm with you on that. Uh, Matthias Ekholm had the difficult task of shepherding a rookie through his first full NHL season after playing with P.K. Subban for three years. Now, of course, P.K. Subban is not the P.K. Subban he once was, but as we saw particularly in 2017, that pair had some excellent shutdown uh, ability, um, especially in the postseason. Um, So I expected Matias Ekholm to take a step back last season, particularly on defense, because he needed to, he went from having an experienced partner who he had been with for three years to an inexperienced partner. Yeah. So when I when I look at Dante Fabro, you know, I don't think, I mean, I think he had a solid yet unspectacular r- full rookie season. I think it was the things you kind of expect. Yeah. Like I, he, I, he, but you can see the tools. Yeah. You can see the, the, the mental a- aspect of the game is there. And maybe if he wasn't playing pure man to man all season. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at Don. I think another full season under his belt will help Dante Fabro, and and in turn Matias Ekholm. I'm not worried about Matias Ekholm. I mean, I think Matias is one of the more underappreciated. Defense. I mean, so he's a leader of the team. He's too. not a defense. Like I don't defensive defensemen don't really exist anymore. Like yeah. stay at quote unquote stay at home defensemen, they don't exist anymore. And Matias Ekholm, you know, he can carry the puck. He can score. Yep. He, you know, he yep. can do those things. But I think Matias represents the closest thing to a quote-unquote defensive defenseman that the Predators have in their top four. And I expect his he, I expect his numbers to improve just because it's another yeah. – he, he just has the experience now with Dante Fabro. I also think they've bolstered the third pairing in free agency. Yes, and which so, then takes the pressure right, off the so top four. What, what you're going to do with Dante Fabro, what, you, what I want to see expectation-wise from Dante Fabro, I want to see him learn from Yossi, Ellis, and Ekholm and, and just sort of show progress, continue to develop and be the player that we think he can be and continue to, to prove that you've got the upside to be a top four defenseman, and let don't do too much. Let the other three superstars do the work, hold up, do your job, trust the process, all the Nick Saban things, and and I think he'll have another. I think he'll have a, a solid season. I don't think expectations should be through the roof on on this particular player, but I think it's I think he's good enough to be top four. And and I do too. And I, and I think and one thing that I you know near the beginning of the off season when I was thinking about what the Predators needed. You know, the third pair certainly was uh, was uh, cause for concern, and they did the right thing in signing two players that fixed that. But I also like the idea of a veteran right-handed defenseman who could play up with Ekholm in a pinch. And I think Matt Benning yeah. is capable of doing that. So if for, if for whatever reason the Predators want to give Fabro a bit of an easier time, and what I mean by that is just the matchups, you know, playing, you know, less, you know, less competition. Right. Uh, you know, I, d- I also don't think it hurts for Dante Fabro, if need be to play with Mark Borvietsky. Like, yeah. I don't think that's a terrible idea. If, if, it, if yeah. they feel they need to, a, a change of some kind, we know this team is going to be a more lower scoring, grinded out grit, toughness, old predators type of team. And if Dante Fabro is the quote unquote, biggest unknown in your defense group and goaltending, 
you're in pretty good shape. You got two good goaltenders, and you got four star, three star defensemen, two veterans to behind you. Like of of the goaltending and the defensemen of the those eight players, Dante Fabro is the one that's the unknown. I think you're doing all right. They should be pretty good on the back end in that defense core and in the goaltending group. Yeah, it's, we talked so. about this previously. That I think that this is the deepest one through six defense they've had in five years. That's that right there is pretty bold. And how about we leave it right there? All right. A lot of expectation handling today. We set the bar for players. We set the bar for the team. We set the bar for the league. Uh, obviously, thank you guys for listening. Adam Vingan, you can follow him on Twitter, at Adam Vingan. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We do appreciate it. That's how we grow it. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic. Pay for good journalism. And you can follow me as well, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall on Twitter. Adam, thank you for hanging out. My pleasure. Enjoy your vacation. Staycation, yes. whatever it is. My sitting on the couchcation. Enjoy relaxation. How about that? Please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.